Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. Well, hello. Welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. I hope everybody's doing good today. Hope we're doing well. Let me turn this closed caption on for the stream. Hopefully it's working. It doesn't look like it. <laughs> so I do apologize. No closed caption today. I hope everybody's doing good. Hope we're having fun watching Mike do his charity stream, which has been amazing so far. And thank you for everybody who's given to Locks of Love, which is an amazing charity. Period. Uh, we are going to be going through monks today. We got a little bit of things going on. First off, everybody who came out yesterday for the Q&A of lore for Bros and Dragons, that was a lot of fun. Um, it's amazing to see people enjoying the story. And if you have any other questions, you're always welcome to shoot those questions to me in our Discord at any time. Hi, Wednesday. It's good to see you. And I would love to go through that. I'm glad you're back. There is a lot in Monk, so we might even not even get through the regular stuff today. But I need a podcast because this is episode 30. We've done 30 of these together. And I love you all and I'm glad you're here. A um, couple of other announcements. After the show, there's going to be an hour between where Mike's going to come back on this week. But normally, I will end at 4 p.m. Pacific, like I always do. Uh, Thank you, Cody. And uh, the new... um, I think it's called Game Time. I'm not sure, and I just updated it. I feel terrible. But the new talk show about tabletop games is going to be on after me which is a brand new talk show which my talk show is me talking about very specific topics theirs is open and they have guests and it's wonderful so today it's going to be i'm going to go off mike's going to go on for an hour and then mike's going to go off and then they're going to take over and I love that our community is growing. I was looking today, and it looks like Thursdays are the only days that we don't have anything on the channel, and that's exciting as uh, one of the operating nerds. What else do we got? We got lots of stuff. Uh, go over to the Rubster Kickstarter. They're still going. Uh, their numbers are moving up slowly. Look at what they've got. And like I keep telling everybody, I'm not asking you to go over there and support them. I'm not asking you to go to their Kickstarter and throw them any money. I'm asking you to go to their Kickstarter, go to Quick References, look at what they have as a game system, and then if you really do appreciate what they have and you'd like to see more of it because they have a ton of content that they haven't put out that they need to get the Kickstarter done to have the 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 functionality in place to do to put more out i think it's a really well written system um but you know don't take my word for it i'm not a professional game designer i've just been around the block and talking to people over time this week we're doing locks of love and as you can see right now 
is a countdown of what's going on for where um, goals are and what's going on. And if I'm reading this right, it's 265, it looks like, raised so far for Locks of Love. So that's amazing because Locks of Love is a great organization that does wonderful things, especially for children's. And that is amazing to me. We're going to go through monks today. And uh, we will talk about our Haya boys as we jump in and kick our way into monks. Uh, any questions that you guys have as I'm talking, by the way, put it in chat. I'm watching chat as well as doing this. There's a lot going on. Um, we got to get big enough so I can get a production team because we need one of those. As I do with everything else that we've been through in the classes of D&D, we're going to start off with the historical monks. Now, there's not a lot of controversy. There's just a lot of not understanding that I've realized as I went through real quick to brief myself on what monks are. So monks, historical monks, practiced uh, religious I, I, I want to, there's just really no way, just something in their religion made them have introspective or even extrospective, nice dogs, or introspective and extrospective. Uh, Is it that word you don't like? Um, they, they look out, they, they people watch and then self-studied. They lived off the grid most of the time, a lot of them are hermits. The ones that we know today, we associate with monasteries in some sense. There's a few that did it through martial training and concentrating on their body, soul, and mind as more trainable devices, thinking the soul and the mind were as trainable as the body was. And those are the ones that we use today in Dungeons and Dragons. Um, if you look at it that way. And and there's a reason. It's because in Dungeons and Dragons, it was designed to mimic this historical look. But in today, the more stuff that comes out, the more powerful things are, the more they get, the more they can do. And you'll see off the bat, monks are pretty powerful, just straight out of the player's handbook, without any of their subclasses. More people today, at least what I've seen, and I'm not mad, I'm just saying this is the way things are going, and that old guys like me probably have to understand this, or when you create a world, you probably have to understand this, so that people play in your world and, and enjoy it. A lot of people, as we grow in D&D, Monk is just a powerful fighting style, um, it's been pirated and butchered up so much that it's just the battle prowess and the cool things you get with Monk that people want. And they want to roleplay it a different way. We saw this in Critical Role. And I'm not picking on anybody. And I thought the adaptation of that Monk was actually really well done. But if you're doing what a Monk is, if you were concentrating internal... You wouldn't be heavy drinking. You wouldn't be working on the the sins of life or however you say that. You wouldn't be going out of your way for women and men and drinking and food and like just overdoing it. It was very 
symbolic study of working with as little as you could. Monks are mostly peaceful, but that's all depending on how you want to play it. And there's no historical... Um, there's the, History shows us both what I would consider evil or selfish or good and wor- worried about external sources. Um, but let's find out why everybody wanted this class and why some DMs I know make it so you can't play this class. Every monk gets a pool of stuff, and the first thing that they get is, well, the first thing they don't get that jumps out is they don't get any armor proficiencies. And that's because it's external, um, outside of what a monk trains for, because they train within. Your weapons will be simple weapons and short swords, and... I think this is mostly because monks really do rely on themselves. Traditionally, they'll use a quarterstaff or different swords, but they are more willing to get into a scuffle without anything. They do have an artesian tool that you could choose or an instrument, and I think that goes into the the practice. The... It's a hobby, but it's a hobby that allows them to um, what am I to center themselves with. And so, if you're going to do this, pick on something more artsy or even a musical instrument of some kind. Right off the bat, you're going to get unarmored defense. Usually, you're unarmored defense. So, somebody unarmored in Dungeons and Dragons, their armor class is ten plus their dexterity. But as a monk, remember they're training their body as much as they're training their soul. And so they've learned to harden their life force. And now you can add your wisdom modifier to your unarmored defense. And in a lot of cases, your unarmored defense is going to be much better than having any kind of armor. Um, Where was I? Uh, They gain martial arts. And I know it sounds funny. Oh, thank you. Uh, I heard a ding. It's a little weird. I don't know what it was. But anyways. Uh, <laughs> they gain martial arts and this lets them use decks. Instead of strength. If they want to for their attacks. And you're probably going to because that dex is a big thing for you to be unarmored with. To be harder to hit. And so it allows you to use unarmed attacks and monk weapons is what they call it. So have fun with that one uh, to make attacks with. So you're using your dexterity instead of strength, even with blunt weapons. It doesn't matter. If you're unarmored, instead of just the one plus your strength, now it's 1d4 plus your dex and damage. And when you use the attack action with uh, unarmored or a monk weapon, so even if you hit with a quarterstaff, you can make one unarmed strike as a bonus action. You get it right off the bat. At second level, though, you're going to gain, finally gain, key points. Through training, you've learned to use your internal energy to be part of the battle. The save for key, which is one of the most at tables is one of the ones that people ask the most of, so I actually do have this one memorized, is 8 
plus your proficiency plus your wisdom modifier. So most saves are eight as the standard number. They always add a proficiency. And then they have a key ability. And when I say key, it's K-E-Y, not K-I. Which we say key point, but we can get into a debate of languages later. Uh, Basically, you gain a pool of points that shows your commitment to your craft. You can use these points for flurry of blows, and that is like immediately after taking an attack action. Instead of using your bonus action to take one more unarmed strike, you take your bonus action to make two unarmed strikes. You have to pay attention with Monk because you do eat up your economy with every little thing that you use. Uh, You could also use patient defense with your key right off the bat, and that's where you... Spend a key point. It's that bonus action again, so you can't do the attack and this. And you can use the bonus action to take patient's defense by spending one of those key points. So basically you take the dodge action as a bonus action, meaning that any attack against you is at disadvantage. Or, the last thing you get at this level is step of the wind. Being able to spend a key use your bonus action to disengage or dash on your turn. One or the other, not both. This is the quickness of a monk. Again, being unarmored it in the game writing sense, it makes sense. In traditional Dungeons and Dragons, it had not traditional because it wasn't in traditional, but the as Dungeons and Dragons went on and they put monk in it, it makes sense. You gain unarmored movement, and what that does is it increases your base speed by 10. Most medium creatures get 30, some like halflings, dwarves, and gnomes get 25. But basically, when you're not wearing any armor, you increase by 10. And at other levels, it's going to go up even more. When you reach 9th level with the unarmored movement, you can move along vertical surfaces or or across liquids uh, without falling or taking any damage or dropping into The liquids is a little bit open for translation. That'll be a Dungeon Master talk. And I encourage you to talk to a Dungeon Master before you run across a pool of acid or lava. (laughs) At third level, you're going to choose your tradition. And hopefully at this point, you've been role-playing it before you take it. Because each of these uh, uh, monk subclasses are or monasteric traditions are very unique in the training of the monk and what they do. (laughs) At third level, all monks gain the deflect missile. This is another one that gets a lot of questions, so I'll just explain it. It's a reaction that you can use to catch a ranged weapon attack. That's the wording you should pay attention to. Not a ranged spell attack, but a ranged weapon attack. If you're hit, the attacker is going to roll damage. You then say, I'm going to use my reaction to deflect missiles. You will roll a 1d10, add your dexterity modifier, and your monk level. And then reduce the damage taken from that. If you reduce it to zero, you can catch it. And you have the option of, if you catch 
the missile, no matter what it is, the ranged weapon attack, you can spend one key point to make a ranged attack back. The difference is no matter what was shot at you, like a a longbow, it doesn't matter how far the longbow goes. You are the 2060 range. Now let me explain that. It means that you make a ranged attack from 0 to 20 normally. Whatever is going on, you make a normal attack. If it's more than 20 feet, you roll at disadvantage. And if it's 60 or more, it's too far to accomplish the goal. So you can't do it. Just keep those in mind. Um, the key to this, though, is you can make a ranged attack with that missile. It doesn't say at the person who fired it. It doesn't have any of that wording in there. And again, talk to your dungeon masters. Don't surprise them. Dungeon masters, talk to your monks. Don't surprise them. At fourth level, you're going to gain slow fall. Again, if you have your reaction and you're falling, you can reduce the damage by five times your monk level. So right off the bat, it's 20 points because you're a level four monk. At fifth level, you get quicker and you gain a second attack. So, if you take the attack action on your turn, you use your bonus action to... So, I want to be clear. You attack on your turn, and then you use your bonus action to do an unarmed strike. No flurry of blows. You then get a second attack. I want to be clear. You no longer get... You don't get a second bonus action. So, if you've already used it, you can't use it again. Um, You also gain key ability called Stunning Strike. This is the one everybody saw and why a lot of people don't like monks or they talk about it being a game changer. I think it's a great strategy. So basically, if you hit with an attack, you can spend a key point. You only have so many key points, by the way. So not only are you paying attention to, did I use my reaction? Did I use my bonus action? Now i got to pay attention to how many key points I have as well. But basically, if you hit with an attack, you can use Stunning Strike by spending a key point. Using your energy to try to stun the person, make them stop for one round. What they do is they make a con save, and it's pass-fail. Either they pass it and they're not stunned, or they fail it and they are. And they're stunned until the end of your next turn, the monk's next turn. Not the the attacking, or the uh, creature's next turn. At 6th level, your key makes your, your study of internal, not the points themselves, make your attacks magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance immunity. At 7th level, you gain stillness of mind. You can use your full action to end an effect, or I shouldn't say full action, you use your action to end an effect that's causing you to be charmed or frightened. It doesn't make you immune to being charmed and frightened, but if you are charmed or frightened, you can actually use your action to not be charmed and frightened anymore by stilling your mind is what it is. At 7th level, you also gain evasion. This is what a lot of people want, just like... A rogue, it works the same way. Which, if you have to roll a dexterity save against an attack, with, and, and it just says dexterity save. So, 
most of this would be like, as an example, the Red Dragon Fire Breath makes you roll a Dexterity save. If you fail, instead of taking full damage, you take half damage. If you succeed, instead of taking half damage, you take no damage. Evasion is really good when it comes down to it. At 10th level, you get purity of body. You become immune to disease and poison. This is not key. It doesn't take an action. You just cannot be diseased and you can't be poisoned. Talk to your dungeon masters about how this affects poison damage or necrotic damage, etc. Stuff like that. At 13th level, you gain tongue of the sun and the moon. You use your key to touch the key of another's mind. When you do this, you understand all spoken language from them. Also, if they can understand a language, you can use your key to communicate to them so that they can understand you. You can do this without spending points, and it depends on how your dungeon master is going to play this, uh, but there's no right or wrong. It's not really in the rules. At 15th level, if you make it this far, you get Timeless Body. Now, what does that mean? There is something mechanically to this. Like the druid that gains one, one year for every ten years of life. Your key sustains you so you don't need food or water anymore. You cannot suffer from the frailty of old age, but you will still die from old age. What does that mean? It means that if something affects you, a spell or something, that causes you to age, that normally has an effect that because you aged it causes weakness or it takes away stuff, no longer does that. That is, at 15th level though, a lot of people don't get there. 18th level, again, if you make it that far, you can actually use key to become invisible and when doing so become resistant to all damage except force. And if you spend more key, you can actually astral project yourself. It's pretty nice. Get yourself out of a situation sometimes, but still in the fight. And finally at 20th level, you become you gain something called perfect soul. This lets you add four key points if you roll initiative and have no key points left. Kind of like a lot of the fighter stuff we were talking about the last few of these. This is what all monks get. And we're going to break down some of the monastic traditions or the subclasses here. Um, they're going to be Astral Self, Drunken Master, Four Elements, Kensai, Long Death, Mercy, Open Hand, Shadow, and Sun Soul. These are the printed ones. There's a few that are in uh, UA now for playtesting, so obviously go out and use that if you want to. But make sure that you have an understanding to use that in your group, with your Dungeon Master, etc. I'm going to go ahead and play a commercial right now, because I am contractually obligated to do so. Uh, this will just be our normal one, because I can't seem... I, I don't know which commercial I got fired up, and I couldn't find the right one. So I, I hope this is the right one. If it's the Locks of Love one, you just get to see what's going on in this channel. Uh, but I wasn't sure which one I have. And I'll be right back after this. We'll jump into Astral Self, and then we'll call it and get Mike back on the phone and switch over. 
But hang in there. Let's run this commercial. Let's see what happens. I'll see you in a few moments. It has been 300 years since the Great Rupture. And now, magical energy known as mana flows through all of creation. Through all people, through all rocks and trees, through the very land itself, through the water that surrounds us and the sky above us. Many have used their own mana to create magnificent realities and to change and shape this world of Tural. Some could not handle the mana flowing through their veins and it has torn at their very soul. Many people are seeking a way to reverse the effects of being mana torn, but to no avail. Here in the shadow of the Empire, created by the peace treaty between the humans and orcs, you have a chance to shape your destiny. What will you do with the mana flowing through your veins? What paths will you follow? What trails will you blaze? The choice is completely yours. Come to the magical land of Tural and decide your destiny. So we only have a little bit here and then we're going to get to the end of El Doc Tokyo's. Um, which I'm looking for. There we go. My next scene. So we're going to talk a little bit about the Astral Self monk. So remember they get everything that we talked about. All those little monk traditions. Um. And if you're wondering, and you see this, um, I got I think I have to update some of the YouTube videos, or find some of the YouTube videos, and put it on there. But if you're listening to this on podcast form, underneath, I still have all the links for all the free rules. I'm not sure if Monk is in that, from Wizards of the Coast, or the character sheets, and everything that you need just to start the game, uh, minus dice, because you always need dice. But... So, Monk, Way of the Astral Self. Um, at third level, when you take this, one of the first things that you get is Arms of Astral Self. Um, it allows you to summon a, a small bit of your astral self. It's not full astral production. It also takes up a bonus action to do, do this, and you spend a key point, but... You summon the arms of your astral self. So not just you, just your arms. When you do so, each creature of your choice that you can see within 10 feet have to make a dexterity saving throw or take force damage equal to two rolls of your martial arts die. That's right. Because your two arms are flying around in 10 feet, catching everybody. For 10 minutes, they hover around near your shoulders or they... Some people put it like surrounding the the arms, and that's actually written in there that it's your choice. Uh, you determine what they look like, and they vanish early if you become incapacitated or you die. When they're there, though, you gain some benefits. You can use your wisdom modifier in place of, in place of your strength modifier when you have to make a strength check or saving throw. So that's the ability checks or saving throws that use strength some dms dungeon masters are going to tell you it doesn't count 
if you're doing extras, so pay attention and again talk to your dungeon masters. Uh, you can use your spectral arms to make unarmed strikes instead. When you make an unarmed strike with them on your turn, uh, you you actually gain five more feet of reach than you normally do. So your normal unarmed strike is five feet. These will go ten. And the unarmed strikes you make with the arms, you can use your wisdom modifier in place of strength or dex if you're going to go high wisdom with this uh, for the attack and damage roll. This is what I'm talking about when it comes to stuff that's coming out. This is one of the newer ones. This came out in Tasha's. You can go full, like, wisdom, dump, everything into wisdom. And it gives you all the benefits. Where before you had to put it in dexterity, but you had to put some stuff in wisdom. This puts it in there. And as we go on, you're going to see this for every class. It doesn't matter. Is it bad or good? I have no idea. I couldn't tell you. It's just not written in the cards. Because I don't really have a problem having stronger people at my tables. But I've also been doing this for quite a bit. And Dungeons and Dragons is one of those games that I always play. Where other games I've played along the way. I might not be able to adapt enough. But I can adapt in this game. I want to remind you that it is about everybody at the table feeling like they're part of that adventure party. Feeling like they're giving the same amount at the table. No matter what that is. I I don't... This isn't the time to get into the conversation about what equality and equity is really going to mean. I will tell you that if everything is even enough to allow somebody to accomplish what they think their character should be, <clears throat> excuse me, everybody at the table is going to have a good time. If everybody at the table is having a good time, you don't have a toxic table. It's just what it is. Now, some people are going to milk you for whatever you got, Dungeon Masters. They're going to keep going until you say no. Just make sure that you keep it where nobody feels like there's favoritism or somebody is a one army, whatever. Be sure that you keep that in check at your table. At 6th level, when you take Astral Self, you get Visage of Astral Self. So at that point, you get to summon a whole visage of your astral self. Um, as part, uh, as a bonus action or part of a bonus action, you take that you activate the arms of the astral self, you can spend one more key point to summon the visage for 10 minutes. And it vanishes again under the same things. The spectral visage now covers your face like a helmet or mask. Uh, you can determine its appearance, but again, make sure that you're passing everything through your dungeon master. Do not surprise anybody at the table. When you do the visage, it gains extra things. So, astral sight. You see normal in darkness. Both magical and non-magical, up to 120 feet. This is not dark vision. You see normal in darkness is way better. You see all the colors and everything like there is light. 
Wisdom of the Spirit. You have advantage on insight checks that are wisdom-based and intimidation checks that are charisma-based. I say that because that's how the rules are written. And if you're using the optional rule of doing like strength-based intimidation, your dungeon master may or may not be... It depends on how they're going to interpret the rules. So just pay attention to that. <laughs> Excuse me. You gain... Uh, word of the Spirit is the last thing. Uh, you speak and you can direct your words to any creature of your choice that you see within 60 feet. Only that creature can hear you. Alternately, you can amplify your voice so all creatures within 600 feet of you can hear you. Little bit extra, great role-playing things. Even if you're just trying to communicate in a fight, it can be really detrimental if the only person that can hear you is the guy across from you or who you're directing it to. At 11th level, you're going to gain body of the astral self. Remember, this monk is all about external or internal looking. They're very introspective. Their chi or ki is stronger than your typical monk. So... Body of the astral self. Ooh, hold on. Excuse me. Yeah. I must be allergic to, I don't know, work or something. Um, when you have both your astral arms and your visage summoned, so you have the mask and you have the glowy arms, you can cause the body to appear. So you have to have spent the other key points to get here. The spectral body now covers your physical form. It looks like a suit of armor, however you want it to look. But it connects the arms to the visage and, and covers you. While it's present, you gain more benefits. Deflect energy when you take acid, cold, fire, force, lightning, or thunder. You can use your reaction, if you still have your reaction, to deflect that. When you do so, the damage you take is reduced by 1d10 plus your wisdom modifier. And it can only be a minimum of one with the Wisdom modifier, depending on what you do. But this one, you're going to pour a lot into Wisdom. Once on each of your turns, you can get Empowered Arms. When you hit a target, while you have the Arms of the Astral Self with the rest of this, you can deal extra damage to the target equal to your Martial Arts die. This is up for interpretation, because uh, let's use 1d4 as an example. If it's 1d4, you're going to roll a 1d4. You're going to roll another 1d4 because your arms are out. Do you add 4, or do you roll another dice? It doesn't say. Awakened Astral Self is at 17th level. Again, if you make it that far, right? So what happens then is, at 17th level, while you spent the key point, to put your astral self completely out there, allowing you to unleash full potential. So in your bonus action, you're going to spend five key points. You're going to summon the arms, the visage, the body, and it awakens for ten minutes. While this is happening, what it means is you gain a plus two to AC, armor class, is what that stands for. So it makes it even harder for you to get hit. And then when you use your extra attack feature to attack twice, because that's what it's going to do, 
you can instead attack three times if all the attacks are made with your astral arms. So a lot going on with Monk. There's a lot to pay attention to. I don't even think casters pay attention as much as monks pay attention, or at least should pay attention, I should say, to what's going on. Monks are interesting. A lot of people have problems with monks. A lot of people who like giving out magical items don't like monks because it's hard to give a monk a magical item. I'm going to tell you that monks were made for introspection, and they were kind of designed not to get any. They're designed in Dungeons and Dragons to do an entire campaign without receiving one magical item. They can use certain items, but they're designed not to use certain items. So keep that in mind when you're playing a monk, when you're going through. We only have a few minutes left, and as you can tell, monk is pretty chunky when you go through it. And so we're going to... Uh, next week, go into Drunken Master. I'm going to try to do Drunken Master Four Elements and see if I can sneak in Kenzie, but it depends on what's going on. But for now, let's call Mike and see what he's doing. Let's get him on the phone because he put me on the phone. And... Hiya. <clears throat> Excuse me. A monk is a magdalene. I just saw that as I was calling him. <laughs> Joe's Pizza. Joe's Pizza. Hey, buddy, are you ready to do your thing? Yeah, um, I, I'm hearing an echo of my echo of my echo, which is kind of cool. That is cool. So what I'm going to do is, hold on, so I add you on there. But for everybody out there, I want you to keep it nerdy and live your dreams. I have an outro, so we're going to use that. And I'm going to go talk to Mike, and we're going to get this so we can seamlessly switch it over for everybody. So we'll be right back. Love one another, keep it nerdy, and live your dreams. Later. This has been a NerdWorks production.